This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. You know, I love that last clip. It shows you in that trailer of your fingerprint. Have you ever looked at your fingerprint? Go, go ahead and look at it right now. It's crazy. Some of you already know this, but there's not one fingerprint in this entire world that is the same. Isn't that crazy? Like biological twins, different fingerprints. There's not, there's not one. And, and there's been billions and billions of people on this earth. And so not one is the same. As a matter of fact, did you know there's three different types of fingerprint? There's what they call the, the whirl, the loop, and the arch. So you either have a fingerprint that would be categorized as a whirl, a loop, or an arch. And then within that, they take the, the center and the delta, and that's how they kind of use fingerprints. Now, if your fingerprint has never been associated with a picture, so you've never taken it for a job, a background check, or anything, and they got your fingerprint at a crime scene or anything else, they would not be able to know the color of your skin by your fingerprint. Let me tell you why that's really cool. Because our God created our fingerprints. And Psalm 139 said that he created us together in our mother's womb. So our fingerprint, our identity, has nothing to do with the color of our skin. And so we're actually going to talk about racism today and how it fits into Imago Day. And so before we do, I want to open up with a story about Abraham Lincoln, who was amazing, right? Abraham Lincoln was amazing. He was an abolitionist. He put an end to slavery. But, but you guys also need to know, Abraham Lincoln wasn't perfect. He still didn't think blacks should vote, which is an atrocity, right? But he was progressive for his time, and he was fighting, trying to do it the right thing, because he was a biblical man, he was a moral man, and he was trying to do those things. So he fought for abolition. Well, during the Civil War, history records that Abraham Lincoln would go to church on Wednesday nights. And as a matter of fact, he would go to Dr. Gurley's church, just a, about a stone's throw away from the White House, about a block walk. And he would go with his assistant. Dr. Gurley would allow Abraham Lincoln to sit in his pastor quarters so that he wouldn't be bugged by patrons and he could just slip in and slip out. So on one particular Wednesday church service, he's walking back from his assistant after listening to Dr. Gurley give his message. And the assistant says, man, that was great. Wasn't that a great message? What do you think, sir, president? Do you think that was a great message? He goes, well, it was biblical. It was relevant and it was precise, but I don't think it was great. He goes, what do you mean? Why? Why don't you think it was great? I thought it was great. Why didn't you think it was great? And he says, because Dr. Gurley never challenged us to do something great. And I think for a message to be great, you need to be challenged. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if this message is going to be great, but I assure you I'm going to challenge you this morning with love. Love from Scripture, love from the Gospel, and love from what God's Word says. Because here's the reality. If you don't think I've been nervous and anxious about this message, maybe more than any other I've given at Woodland Hills, you're crazy. I text Ted right before. I said, Ted, I'm nervous. And he said, it's okay. Just pray for me. But y'all, I'm 30 miles north of a billboard that says whiteprideradio.com. So I'm very aware of where I'm at as far as geography in this country. Right? So, So of course I'm nervous. Talking to Southwest Missouri about racism. I, I grew up in Southern California, at Chula Vista to be exact, low income housing. And, and so my whereabouts were racing. The, 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 California, we're, we're way more progressive than Southwest Missouri. No offense, my fishermen and hunting friends. All right. But, but it, it, it wasn't until I got here 
And I'm in Missouri, and then Hurricane Katrina hits and displaced two dear friends of mine, Rodney and Gerard Evans, who come live with their uncle Eddie, who's in the platters. And, and I start spending a lot of time with these young African males, right? And, and started seeing things and experiencing things, being so close to them, I'd never experienced in California. Like seeing the way people treated them and the way people talked to them and the way people mishandled. And now I'm watching Gerard be a phenomenal dad, a phenomenal husband, a phenomenal, like with this kids changing everything in a biracial relationship. Like, like it's amazing. And, and I get to watch that firsthand and break so many barrels. He's coaching my kid right now. He's doing a phenomenal job. He's loving his wife. He's loving his kids. He's amazing. But, but uh, when, there's an old saying, when you walk, walk long enough with the rabbi, you'll get his dust on your clothes. You're walking close enough. But sometimes we can't have empathy towards other people because we don't walk close enough, long enough with them. And so perhaps Ted asked me to give this message because he knows I'm walking closer to those who don't look like me and aren't from where I'm from on a more consistent basis, right? So, so we get into this message, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we take it from Revelation 7, 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, right? So this is greater than Woodstock. There's like people going on forever, right? There's just tons and tons of people from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. I got caught up on this part this week, the tongues part. Have it occurred to you that when we go to heaven, that, that we might not be speaking English? Matter of fact, when you look in the Bible, it's Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And maybe, as Dr. Bronner referred to after this last service, maybe it's a language that's never even existed. We're just giving it. Forget Rosetta Stone. Here you go. Here's the language. You already know it. You got it. And there's this tongue. And here's the other part about this tongue that I think is so important. Do you know why foreign countries have such a problem with us as Americans? I have friends from other foreign countries, and they tell me this. Because we go into other countries and we expect them to speak our language. The French can't stand us. You go over there and you start speaking English. You're in France. You, you aren't okay with people usually coming over here and expecting you to speak their language. So why do we travel? You want to know a really big travel tip when you go to France? Put a Canadian patch on your backpack and then you will be treated much differently in France. <laughs> why? Canada has French-speaking provinces. But for the most part, Americans go to all these foreign countries... And assume that we need them, they need to speak our language, and it's just prideful and arrogant. Just fuels that. No. Be be sympathetic. And 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 who decided that America is a one language speaking country? It doesn't have to be. We're we're all immigrants, if you think about it, other than the Native Americans. So so let allow immigrants to speak their language, whether it be Spanish or whatever language it may be. Be sensitive to that. Be considerate of that, right? Just because we have movies doesn't mean they all know English. Oh, you watch our movies, you should speak English. No, subtitles, right? So, so, so just, just be thoughtful of that and mindful of that. So, so there's this idea that there's these tribes, nations before the throne and before the Lamb. So there's this, John is painting this picture of heaven. So that's what Revelation is. It was written by the Apostle John. Right? And he's writing one of the final prophecies. Which, by the way, there's no S on the end of this, just so you guys know. So it's never the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation, singular. It was a revelation that God gave to John about what heaven was going to be like. And so all these people are celebrating. So look at this. Does this look familiar? And palm branches were in their hands. Palm branches were also in their hands when Jesus came in on the donkey on the triumphal entry. 
Hosanna, Hosanna, blessing me. Easter's coming, right? We've got a couple months, we'll be in Easter. It's coming back to it again. They're, they're praising the king. Here they are praising Jesus. But think about it, those same people that were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, when he was coming into Jerusalem, were the same people three days later that were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But now there's no more three days later after this palm branch ceremony because it's final. The king has destroyed the devil, everything's been exterminated, and here we are. So what we need to know from this passage and how it relates to racism is this is all redeemed. So every tribe, tongue, and language is going to come back together. Black, yellow, white, they're all going to come together, right? So if that's the case, heaven is diverse. So why do you think that you or I will enjoy heaven if for eternity we are going to be next to black people, white people, Yellow people, different nationalities, different ethnicities, for eternity, praising Jesus, not in our English tongue perhaps, for eternity when we don't enjoy being around those people now. That's all heaven is. Heaven is a beautiful mosaic of people that don't look like you, act like you, talk like you. And Jesus prays, your will on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is diverse. So I just have a question in the most loving way. How diverse is your life? How diverse is your home? Who do you invite inside that home? Who do you allow to be inside your circles? Who do you allow to be? Who do you allow your kids to be around? I'm not not a racist, really. Would you let your granddaughter or your daughter marry a black man? Then we can say there's no racism there. You see, it has subtle ways of seeping itself into our lives where we think, no, 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 I'm not racist. I just don't want my kid hanging out with them. Are you kidding me? My boys are best friends. With kids that don't look like them, act like them, or talk like them. Intentional with that too. Because it's not just doesn't show up. So heaven is diverse. Revelation shows us what's redeemed. Because this is what was broken. God's heart was never for us to be scattered. God never wanted any of us to be scattered. He didn't want us to be broken and divided. Look at So the Lord scattered them from over all the earth. Why? They were trying to build a tower to God. They were so filled up with pride. Pride gets us into a lot of places. Matter of fact, racism is born out of pride, right? And they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the whole earth. So this idea of people that came together, remember, God's original plan was for one nation. He creates Adam and Eve, and then from that came Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother. He gets sent out. Now we're starting to get different tribes because what? The result of sin. It was all supposed to be together. We were all supposed to be united from the forefront, right? Well, then they get scattered, and then they get scattered more, and then they say, hey, let's build this. They do it again. They try to build a big tower to God. God scatters them again. He says, no, 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 I'm going to confuse your language. I'm going to scatter you because of your pride, right? This all was rooted in pride. William Barclay says it best. Look at this. He says, pride is the fertile soil from which all other sins grow. For us to have the audacity to think that the color of our skin is more significant than others comes straight from the pit of hell. It's pride. It's pride. It's pride that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. It's pride that got Adam and Eve in trouble to begin with. It's, it's pride that got the Tower of Battle to get us all scattered. Pride is the inability to forgive somebody. Pride is the inability to lay your racism aside. Pride is the fertile soil from which all other sins grow. Pride is what made World War II happen. This man named Adolf Hitler thought that there was a superior race. 
How did that go millions of lives later that literally changed the trajectory of family trees and everything else? People in this room impacted by World War II. People in this room that don't have their great-grandfathers and their grandfathers because one man thought a race was more superior than another. Pride is evil. And, and now, now hear me, right? Satan knows this. Satan knows how to attack us. Matter of fact, back to Abraham Lincoln, he had a great quote. He said, if America's ever destroyed, it won't be from outside. It will be from being divided from within. So Satan is using media to divide you politically. Satan is using media to divide you racially. Satan is using media to divide you in whatever way he can because the only way this great country that God has blessed is destroyed is from within. And, and so if you walk around and you got racism in your heart, just know that Satan's winning the day. Satan is winning the day of division when, when you look at somebody differently because of the color of their skin. Look at this in Romans 10, 12, and, and Paul is alluding to this. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Just so you know, there was only two races that God ever created. That was it, just two. There was Jew, God's chosen people, and Gentile. The Jews blew it, God grasped them in, and the Gentiles get to be a part of the party too. And the crazy thing is we're going to find out. And even between those two races, he abolishes those. So he says, no, 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 no. Back to the fingerprint. I want the heart. I'm not worried about the color of your skin. I want the heart, right? There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call him. So we learn that this, there is no impartiality with God. God is impartial. The more we follow God, the more impartial we will become too. You can't claim to come to know Jesus in 2000, 2003, 2004, and you're the same racist you were then that you are now. That's not the heart of God. Look at this conversion chart. So you come to know Jesus, you begin to have a deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness, the cross, its grace, and its mercy in your life gets great, but you also become more aware of your knowledge and sinfulness. How great is God's grace and mercy that when we come to know him, when we trust that he died on the cross from our sins, that he was buried, resurrected, and that we trust in him and believe he did those things that we will be saved, right? How great is it at that moment of, of, of salvation that he doesn't show us all of our sin at once? What a merciful and graceful God. But the more we walk with him, the more he sanctifies things out of us. And, and, and I'm here to tell you, like, that it keeps doing it because, because if we don't understand, like, we can't keep pursuing things that the devil desires for us that, that, that we can't keep having a heart for Christ. You, you can't. The two can't coexist. You, you can't be growing in your relationship and, and have a heart for Christ and a heart for racism at the same time. Th- those two cannot coexist. Matter of fact, Ephesians, in Ephesians it says this, that for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups. One has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So he's saying Christ came and he destroyed there being a Jew and a Gentile. Now, now there's just those who believe in Jesus. That's it. So, so, so a heart for racism and a heart for Christ, they, they, they cannot coexist. And I, I want to show you guys a video clip. There was a man named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce fought to put an to end to the transatlantic slave trade movement, was taking all of the Africans from Africa through Europe and then over to here and making a lot of money. And a lot of people didn't want him to do that. Because they were making a lot of money. They were worried about their dollar more than they were about treating men equally. 
And so William Wilbur's first, as a matter of fact, the, the song Amazing Grace was coined from John Newton, who was like a mentor and, and a pastor to William Wilberforce, who is a political activist that abolished the transatlantic slave trade. He was a Christian. He understood that God's word had no room for racism in it. He understood what they said and he knew where his conviction lied. And so he followed God's word and wanted to treat all meaning. And he wanted to put, and he spent his life and his energy putting an end to the transatlantic slave trade movement. Uh, here's a video clip from Amazing Grace, which is the depiction of William Wilberforce's life. Check this out. When you reach the plantation, they put irons to the fire and do this to let you know that you no longer belong to God, but to a man. Mr. Wilberforce, we understand you're having problems choosing whether to do the work of God or the work of a political activist. We humbly suggest that you can do both. (sighs) I love that line. It's not about if you're a business owner or a pastor. It's not about if you're a coach or in the ministry. You do both. When you're a Christian, you do the work of a political activist. When you're a Christian, you do the work of Christ. When you're a Christian, you do both. Right? Like, think about this. Like, a week from tomorrow, we celebrate in this country now, it should have been celebrated much longer, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, who was a Christian. And if you're a business owner or you're in this community and we don't acknowledge that day, right? Why? He was a believer. Forget the color of his skin. He was a believer. He loved Jesus. He fought for the ideas of this Bible, right? The most important thing. I love the way that Dennis Leary says it. Racism isn't born, folks. It's taught. I have a two-year-old. You know what he hates? Naps. End of list. And it happens in subtle ways, right? Your uncle, your great-grandfather, your grandfather, they, they, make, they make racial slurs at the TV as you're watching the, the football today and, and, and running. It's like not just run, but you put an explicit term there to tell that person. And the little kid hears you use that term or you say funny racial jokes around the table. Like, that stuff is taught, right? And if you're in a home where you're not teaching it and it's normal for your kid to have friends that aren't the same skin color as them or whatever it is, that, that, that's normal. You, you decide to create what's normal. It's taught, ladies and gentlemen. It's taught from great-grandfathers. It's taught from grandfathers. It's taught from... It's carried on. It's taught. No kid comes out of the womb hating somebody else. Have you ever seen kids on a playground play? They don't think twice about it, ladies and gentlemen. They don't have a second thought about it. So, so it's us as parents that get to lead the way in this unity and the beauty and diversity. I love this John Piper quote. He says this, the only solution powerful enough to overcome the racialist life and bring about racial reconciliation and harmony is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A president of the United States isn't going to change the race problem. Uh, uh, Boycotts aren't going to change the race problem. It's our hearts living out the gospel, which is free from racism. This gospel is free from racism. Jesus hates racism, hates it. He proves it. I'm going to show you a point here in just a second. But it's the gospel. It's sharing and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing powerful enough that will abolish this division that the Satan is using in our country through media to try to divide us. All right? John Calvin says this. 
the great part of the human race are most unworthy if they be judged by their own merit. That's all of us. We're all unworthy, regardless of the color of our skin. But here, Scripture helps us in the best way when it teaches that we are not to consider what men merit of themselves, but to look upon the image of God, the Imago Dei, in all men, to which we owe all honor and love. Therefore, whatever man you meet who needs your aid, you have no reason to refuse to help him. We remember not to consider men's evil intention, but to look upon the Imago Dei in them, which cancels and effaces their transgressions, and with its beauty and dignity allures us to love and embrace them. So sometimes we'll try to be anti-racist and try to do our best to, to act like we're, we're not, and we'll say things not intentionally, but we'll say things like this. Uh, I don't see color. No, you all see color or else you would have gotten a wreck at a stoplight this morning. We, we do see color and it's beautiful. I see my beautiful black brothers and sisters. I see my beautiful black or, or my Asian friends and, and I, see, I do see color and it's beautiful because that is exactly how God created them. So don't say you don't see color because you do. And God created them that way. And they're beautiful that way. And you're beautiful in your white skin. And, and they're beautiful in their black skin. And we're all beautiful. And, and God intentionally did that. And so when we say that, we're saying, I don't see the image of God in you. Because God is the creator. And God has a heartbeat for diversity. But he has a heartbeat for unity in that diversity. So look at Acts seventeen twenty six, And this is what it says. And he made from one man every nation. From one man. So we're all brothers and sisters, especially in Christ, right? Of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. He did this. One man, everybody came. And here's, here's what's amazing about Jesus. Jesus knows how to poke the bear. And so does Satan. They both know how to poke the bear. But, but Satan did it in a non-sinful way. Satan does it in a sinful way. So this is the way Jesus would poke the bear, right? So Jews hated who? Do you guys know? Samaritans. They hated Samaritans. The Jews hated Samaritans. And so Jesus was a Jew, but he was teaching them there's a parable of the good. Yeah, he's, he's poking the bear. He's like, hey, you don't like this group, but watch who's good in this story. You're choosing not to see the good in them, but they're actually good in them. You're just refusing to see what you want to see rather than what's actually in all men that has a heart for God. And so he pokes the bear. And then he pokes the bear another way. And this wasn't a parable. This was a true story. Jesus reveals himself for the first time to who? A woman at the well that was a what? A Samaritan. Samaritan. He reveals himself, who he was, to her the first time. First time, other than the apostles, that he reveals himself as his Messiah is to a Samaritan woman. And he gets to her and he talks about the heart. It's amazing. Watch this clip. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. Mm. 
because you know these things. Because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> I, I love that that scene of these apostles walking up to Jesus, like, looking. Why are you Why are you talking to her? Have you, have you missed all this apostles? Like, it's all about the heart. It's not about the color of somebody's skin. And I love I love that that's who he revealed himself to first was a woman that was at the well in the middle of the day because she was even outcasted from her own Samaritans. You may have heard this story before, but I'm going to change the characters for you. What's it going to be like one day when you and I die, which we're all going to die, and we make it into heaven? And And these angels, they come and grab you and they usher you to where you're to seat. And they come and they sit you and you sit down at this marriage supper of the Lamb that we've heard all about. And you look down to your left and there's this table that just goes on forever to your left. And it goes on forever to your right. And it's at one point in their life, these believers that were on fire for Jesus. And it's this special, huge marriage supper of the Lamb to celebrate who Jesus is, what he is, and what he's done. And they sit you. And you sit down and it's so special. And and you look to your left And sitting right next to you is this Middle Eastern man. And you look at him and you say, excuse me, sir. What's your name? He says, Rahim. Rahim Fahazi. And you say, Rahim, will you talk to me about how you got here? He says, yeah, I grew up in Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, I grew up a Muslim. And then I started having these crazy dreams. These dreams of a Middle Eastern man with a beard. Who, who told me that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one could come to the Father except through him. And I couldn't shake these dreams. And so I knew Jesus was the way. And so I renounced Islam and decided to follow Jesus. And when the Taliban found out about it, they came and pulled me from my home, and they told me to recant my faith in Jesus, and if not, I would be beheaded. I was beheaded that day. The angels came and ushered me, and I got my head back. But, but, but isn't this so special? He's sitting, and you say, Rahim, thank you so much for sharing your story. And, and then you look over to your right, and this olive-skinned, beautiful 11-year-old girl with blue eyes from Italy, outside the province of Rome. You say, little girl, what's your name? She looks at you and says, Francesca. You, you, you say, Francesca, will you talk to me a little bit about how you got here? She said, well, I lived a real hard life. When I was 11 years old, these men came and took my daddy. They took my daddy because he loved Jesus. So me and my brother followed to see where they were going to take him. They took him to this big arena where there's all these people. And they took my daddy to the middle of the arena. 
And then lions came out of every single door. I watched lions eat my daddy that day. I never cried so hard in my life. The next day they came back for me and my brother. They took us back to the same big arena and put us in the middle and just told us if we just denied Jesus, we could live. I've never been so scared in my life. But I couldn't do that. He was my reason for living. He was my everything. I died that day. The angels came and ushered me into heaven. I've been sitting here ever since. Isn't this special? Francesca, thank you so much. And then sitting across from you is this beautiful black male with beautiful smooth skin and brown beautiful eyes. And you look straight at him and you say, Sir, what's your name? He says, Martin. You say, Martin, will you talk to me a little bit about how you got here? He said, yeah, my daddy was a preacher. I grew up in the segregated South. You see, I grew up in America and blacks and whites weren't treated the same. Matter of fact, we couldn't use the same restrooms. We couldn't use the same sinks. And I was a Baptist minister myself. And the scripture I read and the scripture I understood wasn't the Jesus that this South was portraying. And so I fought for the equality of all men and women. That, wasn't, that was met with some harsh hatred. And so I kept fighting for this equality that I saw that was the heart of Jesus. My last message was, I've seen the mountaintop, and in that message, I just was content with living out God's will. So at the Lorraine Hotel, 206, I was assassinated, bullet through my cheek and lodged into my shoulder. Angels came and ushered me into heaven. I've been sitting here ever since. And then Martin, Rahim, and Francesca look at you. Six of the most penetrating eyes you've ever had in your life turn on you in this beautiful moment at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they say, what about you? What's your story? What's your story? Because Woodland Hills, I promise and assure you, God is not writing a story of racism in your life. God is not writing a story of hatred in your life. God is not writing a story of bitterness in your life. That is not the heart of Christ. A heart for Christ and a heart for racism cannot coexist. It will not coexist. Jesus hates racism. Satan loves it. So where do we begin? What do we do? We don't act paternalistically. We don't patronize. We begin by listening, by pressing and listening and not airing our opinions all the time. We just walk so that the dust gets on us and we're able to see and engage just like Christ did with the Samaritans. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for your word and that it is clear as day that you hate racism. That a believer has no room in his heart to hate someone else or to act towards someone else differently because of the color of their skin or their background or whatever it is. God, would you abolish by your work of the Holy Spirit racism in southwest Missouri and northwest and northeast Arkansas? God, could you do a work that only you could do? I pray that you would. I pray that you would work in the hearts and I pray that people would leave here challenged to examine their hearts and towards that.
in the way they speak, in the way they communicate, in the way they interact with people that don't look like them, talk like them, or act like them. I lift this all up in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said,